Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. We started a series last week called For the Culture. And this is a series where we are looking at the difference between the culture of the world and the culture of the kingdom. And it would be so awesome if the culture of the world and the culture of the kingdom were the same thing. But how many people know that these things are often not the same? That it would be great if these things ran in parallel to each other, but these things often are grinding against each other. And so we have the culture of the world that we live in, and we have the culture of the kingdom that we also live in, and these things wrestle with each other. And so we're going to be talking a little bit today about what the culture of the kingdom looks like, because while we live in the culture of the world, we know that the culture of the world is filled with racism and filled with sexism and filled with ageism and all these different isms. Matter of fact, when we think about the culture of the world, we think about cancel culture. Anyone ever heard of cancel culture before? Cancel culture is this idea that regardless of my relationship with you, regardless of how long you have been serving, regardless of how much good stuff you have ever done, if you ever say anything that I disagree with, I can cancel you just like that. If you've been doing good stuff for your entire life and then all of a sudden you send one tweet that I disagree with, if you, say, if you send one video, if you post one thing that I don't think makes sense, if you post one thing that I disagree with, I can cancel you on the spot, that is cancel culture. And that is not kingdom culture. And so now we have debates about free speech and we have debates about political correctness and we have debates about truth, or should I say truth, right? Because truth used to be absolute. Truth used to be this objective measure that we could all understand of what it meant, but now we don't have this absolute measure of truth. Now we're told to own your own truth. Like truth is now subjective. Like truth is now something that is different from me to you, and this is just not what the Bible teaches at all. And so we're gonna talk about this a little bit because when you are owning your own truth, what you're essentially saying is you can't judge me. Right? I can't judge you, you can't judge me. You gotta own your own truth. And so when we think about different verses in the Bible that we like to quote, or when you think about maybe what your favorite verse in the Bible is, I believe that it probably is different depending on the group of, of people that you're speaking to, right? If you're speaking to one group of people, then you might ask them, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? And they might say, John 3:16, for God so loved the world, right? You ask another group of people, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? And they're probably gonna say, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans that I have for you. You ask another group of people, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? And they're probably gonna tell you Philippians 4, 13, right? I can do all things through Christ. And you ask another group of people, people that potentially are unchurched, and, the, and you're going to say, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? And they're going to say, do not judge. Do not judge. Right? And so this is the favorite verse in the Bible for people that have never actually read the Bible. And it's important that we dive a little bit into this scripture today, because if you ask someone and they say, my favorite verse is, do not judge, and you ask them, well, do you know who actually said that? They're going to say, no, I have no idea who actually said that. And you say, do you know where that is in the Bible? And they're going to say, no, I have no idea where it is in the Bible, but I know that it's in there somewhere. And I know that as Christians, 
you are being told not to judge, right? So much so that if you, uh, if you have teenage kids and you tell your teenage kid, hey, your room is a mess, I want you to clean up your room, then the kid is probably going to reply back to you, hey, don't judge me. This is my space. This is my safe zone. You can't judge me. Don't tell me to clean my room. Or if, you, if you're in a relationship with someone, and, or if, if someone that you know is in a relationship and you don't think that they are uh, good or well-connected or well-related or well-suited with somebody else and you say to that person, hey, I don't think that your boyfriend or girlfriend is good for you, that person could reply, well, that's your truth, but that's not my truth. You can't judge me. You can't tell me what I should be doing. You ain't the judge of me. And so this is the most commonly misquoted verse, I believe, in the Bible. I think it's the most misunderstood verse in the Bible. And if that is true, if this is the most misunderstood verse in the Bible, then we've got to talk about it a little bit, right? And it's important that when we look into this verse that we understand who said it why they said it, and what we can get out of it. And spoiler, I'm, I'm not gonna give away the end of today's message just yet, but spoiler alert, it probably doesn't mean what you think that it means. Do not judge, right? But God, we ask you to be in this place. God, I ask you to be in this message right now. I ask that you would make this message plain that you would make it clear. God, I thank you for the way that you've been speaking to me in preparation, and God, I, I thank you that you are speaking right now, and I'm asking for good fruit to come from this message, that you would show us what it means to judge well. God, I thank you that you have spoken to us in the Bible and that you are still speaking to us today. I'm thankful that you're that kind of God, that you're that kind of good, and in your name we've prayed, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's actually look at this scripture. This is found in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. And this is taken from a message or a sermon that Jesus actually preached. It's taken from what I think is probably the greatest sermon that is ever preached. You might have heard it, the Sermon on the Mount. We find it in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. And Jesus is preaching this. This is the first time that he's really communicating in public ministry. And so these are red letters in the Bible. And so if Jesus said it, then you know that it's going to be good. And so we see this in Matthew 7, chapter, or Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. It says, do not judge. And I want to hold up right there because this is what Jesus just said. But part of the issue that we get into when we read the Bible is sometimes just purely a grammatical issue. Right? Sometimes when we look at the Bible and we misunderstand it or we misquote it or we just memorize certain parts of the Bible, sometimes fundamentally we get into gr grammatical issues. Like if you look at this right here, it says, do not judge, comma. Do not judge is followed by a comma. Do not judge is not followed by a period. It's not followed by an exclamation mark. That's not the end of the statement. That's not the end of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, do not judge comma, as in there's more to come after what Jesus is saying. Do not judge, comma, or you too will be judged. Part of the other issue when we memorize scripture like this is that we just look really, really myopically at the one thing that's being said, and we don't think about the larger context of what is being said as well. We don't think about the larger truth or the larger principle that is being communicated. And so we just look at this one part of scripture, do not judge, and we, we don't think about the larger part of what Jesus is trying to communicate here. And this is part of the issue with memorizing scripture. 
Memorizing scripture is a good thing. I want, I want to be very clear about that. But I want to encourage you, as you're memorizing scripture, to make sure that you're thinking about it in its larger context. Think about the larger truth that is being communicated as well. What is the principle that is being communicated? Not just the words that you can memorize. Because part of the issue when you do that is that you take things out of context. Like there's a scripture that says that all things are lawful. All things are lawful. And so if I ever see that you're in sin, if I ever see you doing something that you shouldn't be doing, and you reply to me, well, all things are lawful, I'm going to say, well, that's true. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Not all things edify. That is the rest of the scripture right there. As well as that when you read in the book of Psalms, it says, there is no God. If you look in the book of Psalms, you will see. If you look in the Bible, it's going to tell you there is no God. And so you can go around quoting the Bible and saying there is no God. But the entire verse says, a fool says in their heart, there is no God. Even a scripture that I mentioned just a few moments ago, Jeremiah 29, 11, that's a scripture that we love to quote in the church. For I know the plans that I have for you, plans for prosperity, right? We, we love to quote this Bible, Bible verse. But the reality is, is that this verse was written to people thousands of years ago. It's written for you, but it was written to them. It was written to them, but it's written for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a difference there. And so this was written to a post-exilic community thousands of years ago. And so you can't just read the Bible and take out certain parts that you want to claim as truth for yourself. Because Jesus wasn't writing this verse to you. It was written for you. And there's a difference there. And it's important to make sure that we don't take verses out of context, that we think about the larger truth that God is trying to communicate here. And that's what we do when we take verses out of context, like the verse, do not judge. Because there's so much more that Jesus is trying to communicate when he says, do not judge. But it has to be said, doesn't it? Do not judge. Because... Jesus knew that the people that were going to follow him and like when he was alive on earth and the people that were going to follow him in days to come like we are right now, he knew that the Christians that were going to follow him were probably going to be some of the most judgmental people on the face of the earth. Jesus knew that he was going to have to say, do not judge, because how many people know that when you get saved, it's almost like we think that it's a license to judge? Like I have now been saved and boom, I now have the ability to judge people. I have the ability to judge my church. I have the ability to judge the world. I have the ability to judge now. I'm self-appointed, I can judge, right? Because I've become a Christian, I now have the ability to judge people. And we love judging people. We're good at judging people, right? And we enjoy judging people. We enjoy judging people for what they're wearing. You're probably judging me today because I'm wearing some kind of shirt that looks like a blanket, right? That's what my son said to me this morning. He came up to me this morning and he said, Dad, why are you wearing a blanket for a shirt? Right, but we just love to judge people based on what they're wearing or the tattoos that they have on their body or, or maybe the piercings that they have or, or maybe the way that they speak or the, maybe the way that they vote or maybe the things that they put in their body. We, we love to judge people for these different things. We love to judge people based on the, the version of the Bible that they read. I've had people come up to me after service before when I've been preaching and they've said, I don't think that you should preach out of that version of the Bible. And I say, you should just be glad that I'm preaching out of the Bible full stop, right? But we judge because it makes us feel 
superior, we judge essentially for two reasons. We judge for two reasons, right? Number one, we judge because we are self-righteous. Like we are the judge, self-appointed. I am the judge, right? I became a Christian and now I am the judge for my territory. I'm the judge for my neighborhood. I'm the judge for my workplace. I get to judge now because Jesus Christ is on the inside of me and he has made me to be the judge, right? Essentially, self-righteousness is when you lower God's righteousness and when you increase your own righteousness. When you lower God's righteousness and you increase your own righteousness. And when you do that, you lose the ability to be self-aware. And when you lose the ability to be self-aware, you're now blind to the needs of your own and you're now blind to the needs of others that are around you. And so when you're self-righteous, you don't know what you need. When you're self-righteous, you don't know what people around you need. And our self-righteousness is essentially the reason that we have lost so much attractiveness to the world at large. The church used to be a beautiful gathering of people that was attractive to the world. But now when we go around in our judgmental selves, we have lost the ability to be attractive to the world because we're so busy judging instead of loving. And last time I checked, criticism and cynicism and self-righteousness, these were not fruits of the Spirit. These were not gifts of the Spirit, at least the last time I checked that they weren't. And so we now pride ourselves on the ability to rip apart other people. We now pride ourselves on the ability to tear apart a service. Like if we had a service where multiple people got saved and multiple people got baptized and multiple people were dedicating their life to Christ and it was a beautifully glorifying moment, I guarantee you that we would still have someone say, yeah, but there was three light bulbs that were out in the sanctuary. Right? We would still have somebody that would say, yeah, but the service went too long. Or someone else that would say the music was too loud. Or someone else that would say the, the, the service was too short. Right? How many people know that there will always be someone that will find something to pick apart? And so we pride ourselves on our ability to do this. Right? On the food that we eat. Well, the food was all right, but it wasn't salty enough. Or, you know, I enjoyed this, but they talk too much. Right? And so we pride ourselves on the ability to tear things apart. People, places, and things. We, we think that we're now ordained and able to judge every single thing, every single experience that we have. And so not only does our judgmental spirit, our self-righteous spirit cause an issue between the church and the world, now our judgmental self-righteous spirit causes an issue within the church, causes division within the church. Let me just tell you that the enemy wants nothing more than to cause division within the church. The enemy wants nothing more than for you to not see eye to eye with the person that you're sitting next to. The enemy wants nothing more. The enemy will use anything that he can possibly use to cause division between you and your neighbor. It doesn't matter whether it's abortion. It doesn't matter whether it's LBGT rights. It doesn't matter whether it's immigration. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter whether it's vaccinations. It doesn't matter whether it's masks. It doesn't matter what it is. The enemy will use whatever he can possibly use to ensure that there is division between you and the person next to you. And how many people know that this is a house of prayer? 
and that this is a house of unity and that this is a house of worship and that God has created this place to be a place where we can set aside our differences. We can set aside the differences that may exist out in the world to come together and worship Jesus who is the living Christ, amen? And sometimes I wonder if, um, if we can even say and come into agreement about the fact that Jesus is the Christ. When we have so many things that we disagree about, right? But I just wanna stand here today and say that Jesus is the living God. I just wanna say that God created the world and that we ruined it and that Jesus entered into the world to live and to die and to rise again as a propitiation for our sin to ensure that we can come back into right relationship with him and that he has given us the good gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can empower, be empowered and so that we can live full lives taking dominion over the earth, that these are the things that we should be able to come into agreement about and not allow things like vaccinations and masks to divide us. And I just wanna say this very clearly because I, I have this conversation at least once a week because somebody will call the church and they'll say, hey, what's our stance on vaccinations? I don't know if I should have a vaccination or not have a vaccination. And I'm kinda of tired of having the same conversation again and again and again, so let me just tell everybody this one time, okay? This is my stance on vaccinations. If you want to get a vaccination, you should get a vaccination, right? I don't believe that the Bible has anything to say about vaccinations. I've read it through multiple times. I don't think that the Bible says anything about whether you should or whether you should not get a vaccination, right? I have conversations with women who are not yet mothers, and they want the ability to be a mother somewhere down the line. And they have read studies and they have made the decision based on the fact that there might be some evidence that a vaccination might hinder their ability to have a child in their own womb. And so they have made a decision not to get vaccinated. That decision of that woman is not selfish. That decision from that woman is not foolish. That is that person's decision. In the same way, if you want to get vaccinated, if you want to wear a mask, that is your decision, and you are free and you are entitled to do that. And if you get vaccinated, and if you wear a mask, that does not mean that you are a blind sheep that does not have faith that Jesus Christ will heal you if you get sick. And whichever way you stand on the issue, whichever way you believe on the issue, that's fine, but don't bring ugly into this house. Don't bring division into this house because this is a church of unity. This is a church where we focus on the things that matter. This is a church where we unite ourselves around the kingdom of God, understanding that Jesus is the Christ and we gather together to worship and lift up his name. Amen? Amen. I just felt like that needed to be said because I'm tired of having that same conversation and I'm tired of the division that exists, y'all. I just, I just wonder if um, instead of declaring judgment everywhere, if it would be a better thing if we declared Jesus everywhere. Because we are too well known for declaring judgment. And I guarantee you that it would change the world if we started declaring Jesus as much as we declare judgment. The, so that's all the first point. We, we are judgmental because we're self-righteous. 
The second reason that we're judgmental is because we're jealous. Fundamentally, we're jealous. Because you're like a, you're a good Christian person, right? And you're, uh, you're holding out for marriage before you have sex and you see other people sleeping around with different people and, um, and you're frustrated by that and you think that you have the right to be a little bit judgmental about that because in reality, deep down, if you ask yourself enough questions, it's actually that you're jealous that other people are doing what you secretly wish that you could do because they're sinning and they're enjoying it and they're getting away with it and you wish that there would be some consequences for the sin that they are in. Right? And so you're a little bit jealous about the fact that they're getting away with sin. Or if you're in a, a marriage and you're in a monogamous relationship and you're not actually satisfied in your relationship and you see other people sleeping around and having affairs and you think, God, I wish that I could do that. I'm not satisfied with my own spouse and so I wish that I could have multiple other relationships over here. And so that gives me the right to be judgmental about people that are over here because in reality, I'm actually just a little bit jealous. Or maybe in your workplace, you see other people get promoted ahead of you. And you think, well, they're a little bit lazy. They don't deserve that promotion. Or maybe it's people that are getting better grades with you than you in school. And you think, well, they don't deserve those grades. I work much harder than they do. And so you get a little bit jealous over the fact that they are doing a little bit better, getting a little bit further. And so you think that you have the right to be judgmental because you're just a little bit jealous. And so when we read this scripture, we see that being judgmental is not actually the issue. Jesus himself says that we should judge, right? Jesus himself, a few verses later in Matthew chapter 7, says that we should judge. He says, he draws this comparison between a, a thorn and, and a fruit. And he says, you should be able to discern between these two different things. And if you can't discern between a grape and a thorn, then your fruit bowl is going to be all kinds of jacked up, right? And so you need to make sure that you can discern between these different things. Jesus says that we should judge. And so if the issue is not necessarily judging, the issue becomes how do we judge? And we see how we should do that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. This is the second verse. It says, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want to read that just one more time. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Am, am I reading that right? That the way that I judge others is the same way that I'm going to be judged? And so if the question comes back on me of the way that I judge others is, is the way that I'm going to be judged, then the question actually becomes, how do I want to be judged? And I don't know about y'all, but I want to be judged mercifully. I want to be judged mercifully by God. I want to be judged mercifully by y'all. I want to be judged mercifully. I don't want you to take just one thing that I've done and judge my entire life by that. I want you to look at me in my entirety. I want you to look at my childhood, the family that I was born into. I want you to look at my race and my gender and the abuse I experienced as a child and the learning disability that I have and the environment that I had growing up and the food insecurity that I had and the way that I was bullied. And, and I want you to look at all these different things that existed within me, the insecurities that I have. I want you to look at everything that is, a, that is true about me when you're casting judgment. But how many know that we don't do that? We often take a snapshot of the worst thing that somebody has done, and we judge the entirety of that person by the worst thing that that person has done. And this is often how we judge other people. We judge other people by their actions, and we judge ourselves by our intent. 
We judge ourselves by our intent and we judge other people by their actions. This is what I do with Meredith all the time. And this is, I, I do it because like we all do it, right? But I, I do this because it's easy to do. Meredith will leave her shoes on the floor in the living room like every single day. We've been married for almost 10 years and it doesn't matter how many times I say to her, hey, can you pick up your shoes and can you put them away in the shoe cupboard or put them away in the bedroom? It doesn't happen. And I'm following the principle of Matthew 18 right now of how we can resolve conflict because I've gone to her and I've taken other people into this and now I'm bringing this before the church to help resolve this issue that we have in our marriage, hoping that this would resolve the issue that we have in our marriage. But I look at the shoes that are on the floor and I get upset about it and I get frustrated about it because it's the action of leaving the shoes that are on the floor. But what's also true is that sometimes I leave my shoes on the floor. And I think to myself, well, I have the intention of putting those shoes away at some stage. And so I can walk away and I can do some other things and I can come back by and I can see my shoes on the floor and I can say, well, I don't need to get upset at myself because I have the intention of putting my shoes away later. So I'm just gonna leave them right now. I'm not, I'm not gonna get upset about it. Meredith can't get upset at me because I have the intention of putting my shoes away later. And she leaves the shoes and I get upset about it because it's the action. And I leave the shoes and I don't get upset about it because it's my intention that's different. You hear what I'm saying? So how many times do we know that we judge other people by the worst things that they do or we judge other people by the actions that they do, not by their intentions that they have? And how many people know that it is so great that the people that are sitting nearest you right now don't know the worst thing that you have ever done? Isn't that a wonderful thing that you can sit and you can look around the room right now or you can be on the chat in this online stream right now and the people that are nearest you have no idea, most likely the worst thing that you have ever done? But how many people know that God does know the worst thing that you've ever done and he still judges you mercifully? And so if God judges us mercifully, then we should be people that judge others mercifully as well. Amen? So Jesus goes on and he uh, gives this hilarious illustration that comes straight out of his carpentry workshop. And he says, in verse number three, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the plank, or let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You have this, you're walking around with this big old two by four, unable to see clearly and yet you're focused more on the speck, the sawdust that is in somebody else's eye. And he's saying this because we have double standards. He's saying this because it's so easy to be critical about other people. It's so easy to be critical about our children. It's so easy to be critical about our parents. It's so easy to be critical about our politicians. It's so easy to be critical about our leaders. It's so easy to be critical about our police force. It's so easy to be critical about our employers or our, our employees. It's so easy to be critical about people that are around us because we have a plank in our own eye, yet we're focused on the speck, the sawdust that is in someone else's eye. And um, I'm probably going to upset some self-righteous people here, which is fine by me. Uh, but it, it's okay to judge, but it's just not okay to judge blindly and self-righteously and hypocritically. It's okay to judge, right? But it's not okay to have double standards when you're judging. 
And what I'm really tired of is self-righteous Christians that are going off to the LGBT community, throwing stones at the LGBT community when we have heterosexual sin that is rampant within the church at large. I get so tired of this. And if you're, if you're feeling uptight right now, potentially this is hitting the self-righteous bone that is on the inside of your body, right? But I get tired of the fact that we go after the LGBT community, but we're not focusing on the premarital sex that exists within the church. We're not focusing on the affairs that exist within the church. We're not focusing on the pornography that exists within the church. We're not focusing on all these other things that exist within heterosexual sin. And the Bible has more to say about heterosexual sin than it does to say about homosexual sin. But if we're gonna talk about it, we should talk about all of it. We should talk about all of it, y'all. We shouldn't just talk about one part of it because then that makes us hypocritical. We should talk about all of the sin that exists because Jesus came to free you from all of it. Jesus came to free us from all of it. Jesus came to free you from every idolatry, every issue, every persuasion, every addiction, every issue. Jesus came to free you from all of it. And Jesus came to free you from it, and the Holy Spirit exists to be able to allow you to walk in the freedom as well. So if we're gonna talk about it, let's talk about it, y'all. But I wanna talk about, I wanna talk about the issue, the fact that we have children that are growing up on social media and Instagram and TikTok has just about every type of soft pornography that exists in the world. I wanna talk about the issue that that hard pornography is so accessible for people. It should not be as accessible as it is. I wish that it didn't exist at all, but it should not be as accessible as it is for our young people. Before they have grown and before they have learned the ability to make wise decisions for themselves, it is just all over them. The fact that it is present in just about every movie, the fact that it is difficult to watch any show or any movie without it being shoved down their throat. I wanna talk about these things. We need to talk about all of it but not have double standards, throwing all the stones for the gay community and ignoring the issues that we have within our own community, right? Jesus told us that we should put our focus on ourselves, not on other people. When we have a desire to judge others, we should actually look internally at ourselves. And so when you see someone else in sin of gossip or gluttony, or some kind of other issue, we should be thinking to ourselves, what sin do I have? What do I need to remove from my own life? What needs to be cleaned up from my own life? And Jesus commands us to take care of the issues within our own life so that we can help other people. Meredith and I are trained in Symbus, which is our, uh, our marriage strengthening assessment that we use. It's a, 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 an assessment that you do, and then it's a, a series of meetings that we have after there to talk about how we can strengthen your marriage. And maybe it's that you're thinking about getting married, and we'll take you through that and help you prepare for marriage. It's not just Meredith and I, but it's a whole bunch of, of our staff that we have trained in Symbus. Maybe it's that you are thinking about getting married and you wanna be set up well for marriage. Or maybe it's that you are in a marriage and you want to strengthen your marriage. And so we have this Symbus tool that's available to our church and to others as well to ensure that we are in healthy, God, 
glorifying, life-giving marriages. And the last thing that you do when you're getting trained up as a facilitator is that you're told to take a couple through what a real experience would be like, like on-the-job training, essentially, right? And so you're meant to do all of the trainings, the webinars and the videos, and answer all the questions and learn all the stuff, and then you're told, okay, now take a couple through Symbus so that you know what the experience is like properly, and then you are fully trained and accredited as a Symbus certified facilitator. And so instead of Meredith and I finding somebody else to take through Symbus, we made this incredibly wise decision to take ourselves through Symbus, and it did not go well. It was probably one of the most foolish things that we've done over the last few years because we sat down to have this conversation together and rather than entering into the conversation with open minds, I, en I entered into the conversation with the desire to try and change my wife. I thought like I've got all these things that I know that my wife, I, I love like 99% of the things that God has put on the inside of my wife, but there's that 1% of things that's in your spouse that you wish to God that he would change. And you wonder every single day why God has put this thing on the inside of your spouse, right? And so I went to into Symbus thinking, well, maybe this is this objective tool that we can use now that I can take all the answers. That, that's not me saying it, but maybe it's them saying it. And now I can use this and I can help change my wife now, which is really what my desire is. And we had more fights in that three-hour session than we have probably had in the last 10 years of being together. And it was one of the most foolish things that we have done as a couple because I went into that not trying to change myself. I went into that trying to change my spouse. And you would have a better marriage if instead of trying to change your spouse, you took the plank out of your own eye. You would have a better workplace if instead of trying to change your employee, you took the plank out of your own eye. You would have a better relationship with your children if instead of trying to change your children, you took the plank out of your own eye. If instead of trying to change others, we first introspected and looked within ourselves, God, what needs to change within me? God, what needs to be removed within me? God, what needs to be cleaned up within me? If instead of before, then before trying to change somebody else, if we tried to change something on the inside of us, the conversations would go much, much better. And so Jesus says this in verse number five. He says, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so we can't judge clearly. Matter of fact, you are a blind judge if you are trying to judge other people with a plank in your own eye. You are a blind judge. You can't judge well if you have the plank on, the in, on, on your own eye. And so Jesus says to us, remove the plank from your own eye so that you can judge other people well. It's not for your own sake. It's not just so that you can see well. It's so that you can help your brother out. He says, remove the plank from your own eye so you can help other people. Because maybe I have been through this issue before. Maybe I don't struggle with this sin anymore. And so if I have removed this plank from my own eye, maybe now I can help you in your journey as well. Maybe I can now see clearly the speck that is in your own eye and I can help you in your journey. But first, I need to evaluate myself. First, I need to judge myself before I can see the sawdust that is in your own eye. It says, and then you will be able to help your brother then you will. Not you might be able to, 
Not if you're interested. It doesn't say you might be interested. It doesn't say you might want to. It says then you will. As in it's a commandment. Then you will be able to help your brother. Because love compels us to serve one another. Love compels us to see issues within our brothers and sisters and to go after them and to help our brothers and sisters in areas that they might not see clearly themselves. Love compels you in an area that if you don't see, if you don't evaluate well, love compels me to speak into that issue. But who are we instructed to help? Everybody? Does it say that in verse? Put, put uh, verse number five back up real quick. Who are we to help? What does it say? It says, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. From whose eye? From your brother's eye. It doesn't say from everybody's eye. This is family language. This is, this is church language. Your brother, your sister, these are people who are in the family of God. These are people who are believing the same thing that we believe. These are fellow believers. That's what it says. It doesn't say to judge everybody. It says to help your brother. It says to help remove the sawdust, the speck from your brother's eye. And I want to be clear in this because you do not have the ability to judge the salvation of somebody else. You don't get to decide who is going to heaven and who is going to hell. This is not for you to judge. God never gave you the ability to decide who is going to heaven and who is going to hell. And actually, when Jesus speaks and when Paul speaks, they actually say that it's foolish to try and judge the world because the world has a different culture than the kingdom has. The world has different values than the kingdom has. The world has a different language than the kingdom has. It's just like when you, I don't know if you've ever been to another country before that speaks a language other than English, but if you go into this other country and they're speaking a different language and you walk up to somebody and you start speaking English to them and they don't speak English, they just look back at you with this plain face, like kind of confused, like I don't this is my country, man. We don't speak English here. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're, what you're trying to say. And so then as English speakers, what do we do? Well, we start speaking more slowly to you. And then when they're still confused and they still don't know what we're saying, then we speak more loudly and slowly to you. And then even when that doesn't work, then we start putting a little accent on it, maybe thinking that this will help you understand what I'm trying to say. But, but that's foolish, right? Because they speak a different language. And in the same way, it is true for when the kingdom of God speaks to the kingdom of the world. It's a different language that we speak. And so when you go into the world and you start telling people, you shouldn't be sleeping with every other person that you meet. It's a different language. It's a different value. You should work hard and show up early and leave late, and you should honor your boss. You should pray for your politicians. This is a different language that the kingdom of God has over what the kingdom of the world has. And so when we start speaking more slowly to the world and when we speak more loudly to the world, it just makes us think that we should start to rise up with self-righteousness when they don't listen to us, right? This self-righteousness begins to rise up, but the reality is that the opposite should be true. We should be the most humble people on the face of the earth. Not because we are different from them, but because the God who is different from us came and died 
for us anyway. And that alone should make us humble. Not because I'm different. That should not make us self-righteous. I should be the most humble person in the world because I understand the reality that God, in all of his holiness, saw value in me and my identity to ensure that I would be made back into right relationship with him. And so it's not judgmental for me to call you out on a sin that you have. And it's not judgmental for you to call me out on a sin that you see on the inside of me. Matter of fact, I would love to serve in that community. When we have the freedom to be able to call each other out on the sin that we have, not where we're professional spec finders, but we understand the mandate that Jesus first says, look at yourself. And when you remove the plank from your own eye, then you will be able to help your brother out. And I wanna exist in that type of community where we are judging well. We're not blind judges, but we are able to truly look and see and help our brothers and sisters out. And I wanna leave you with just these final few points, these final four points. If you're taking notes, you can write these things down. Point number one is perfection is not required in order to do this. You don't have to be perfect to correct somebody. You just need to be perfectly aware that you first need to be changed yourself. So you don't have to be perfect and have all this figured out before you start entering into discernment and how to help serve people. Point number two, God wants you to judge and to discern. And I hope that this does not become a clip that is taken on social media out of context because I do believe that God wants you to judge. I believe that when you are judging people well and that when you are judging people with love and respect and humility, that you are actually being obedient to Jesus. And so if I look at my brother in sin and I see his issues and then I call him out on that, then that is not being judgmental. Actually, it's the opposite, it's just being obedient to what Jesus has told us to do. And the world wants me to see you in sin and then turn the other way and turn my back on that. But love does not allow me to do that. Love does not allow me to turn my back on that and to see no value in you because I want to serve you well. And so I wanna ensure that I can enter into this conversation with humility and love and respect and to call you out on the different things and the issues that I see that are within your life. And so if someone says to you, don't judge me, you can't judge me. I know that Jesus said, do not judge. You can say, well, I am judging, but I'm actually just being obedient to the rest of the scripture, which is what Jesus has told me to do. That I have removed the plank from my own eyes so that I can help you in your journey, removing the sawdust from your own eye. Point number three that I want to leave you with is that self-righteousness has a cure. The cure for a critical spirit is to come face to face with God and to allow his holiness to transform your spirit. Self-righteousness has a cure. And if your first reaction when you see someone in sin is to judge them, it's probably because you have never been broken by your own sin. It's probably because you have never entered into a face-to-face, repentance-driven conversation with God to say, I am so sorry for the way that I have sinned. God, would you help 
wash me clean. God, would you help make me new? And if you have, if you have judgment only for other people, it's probably because you have not entered into that face-to-face -face conversation where you understand the reality and the holiness of the living God and allowed him to transform the inside of you. And so self-righteousness has a cure. And that cure is to come into a face-to-face -face reality with God, allowing his holiness to free you from it. And point number four is that we all have planks. I don't care who you are. I don't care whether you're in the room, whether you're watching today, whether you're listening later, we all have planks. So let us first pursue the planks that are in our own eye rather than trying to find the specks that are in other eyes. Let us first think about what God is trying to clean from ourselves. Let us first think about what God is trying to remove from our own life before we start trying to find specks in other people's eyes. Because we all have planks. I have planks. Meredith has planks. We all have planks. And sometimes the reality is, is that we can't see the planks that are in our own eyes. And so that's why we need other people to say, hey, this is a plank. You don't see it right now, but this is a plank that is on the inside. This is a plank that you don't even see within yourself. And so I'm gonna encourage us, this is a safe space. This is a church family where we wanna be ensuring that we enter into conversations with love and humility and respect so that we can call each other out on the sins that we see in a way of honor and not a way of judgment, in a way that is not double standards, but it is in a way that ensures that we are not hypocritical and we are pursuing the way that God has called us to live fully visible lives to other people. Amen? Yeah. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for uh, this message. I'm thankful that you have shown us what it means to be good judges. God, I'm thankful that we have access to the Holy Spirit, that we have the ability to see well when we first remove the plank from our own eyes. God, would you give us a supernatural ability to see what we cannot otherwise see? And would you give us the humility and the courage to go about removing those things from our own life? The self-righteous, jealous spirit, God, I ask that you would help us put it aside so that we can see the issues, the sin, the jealousy, the frustration, the gossip, the slander, the gluttony, whatever issue it is, God, I ask that you would help us Remove that from our own life so that we could help serve others well. And I'm thankful for that, God. I'm thankful that you're a good God that didn't just make us and leave us, but that you made us and that you walk with us and that you will continue walking with us until we are made more and more into your likeness. And Holy Spirit, I'm thankful that you give us the ability to walk this thing out because it takes great courage. It's easy to be selfish. It's easy to be self-absorbed. It's easy to be envious, but God, you have called us to a higher standard. Kingdom culture says that we will be pursuing you first. And God, we wanna be who you have called us to be, and we can't do it alone. We can only do it because you have given us the strength to walk this thing out. And so for that, we say thank you today. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we all say, amen. Amen. amen.